0: All right, if you guys have your Bible, you can turn to Revelation. Revelation chapter 20, verses 1 through 3. And I'm going to begin with this prayer, and then I'm going to read the scripture, and then we'll get right into it. If you guys would uh, pray this with me, you have it on your sheets there. Glory to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. As it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Blessed are the readers, hearers, and keepers of this word. Revelation chapter 20 verses 1 through 3. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain. Chapter 20, this one and the next one have been the most commented about uh, pieces of Scripture that I've heard. When people heard your preaching revelation, this is, this is almost the first question I get. Oh, what's your stance on the millennium? Which is this thousand years that this is talking about here. These thousand years that, that are there. And, um, uh, and they always ask this question. What is your stance on the millennium? Now, when somebody asked me that question, I know that this question has come from church folk, people who have been in church a long time, who have kind of majored in that, those um, who are familiar with the different beliefs and meanings of this particular scripture and the ones that kind of precede it. And there have been a lot of dividing lines in this text on, on how to read and decipher this particular scripture. And there have been uh, very, very, very divided lines, particularly in the last 40 years. There have been uh, very strong dividing lines. And so this text, I find it interesting that it's one of the most argued about scriptures because it's supposed to bring us a great sense of joy. It's supposed to bring us like this, this like divine happiness that Satan is bound up and thrown into a pit for a thousand years, and yet it's it's um, it's divided us and made all, into all sorts of arguments and divisions. And honestly, to me, this is really sad. This is really sad that the heart of this scripture gets uh, tossed into the same bottomless pit. Apparently, like the the idea that Jesus won. He did it decisively and that he is going to set up his reign here on earth causes this much division is just sad because I don't think it has to be like this. I really don't. I have an imagination that it doesn't have to be like this. We don't have to divide. Instead, like Jesus prayed in, in his high priestly prayer in John chapter 17, that we might get to strive for unity as Christians, as those who follow Jesus and want to follow him. And so When we come to this text, we come with humility. Rather than needing a position or even an opinion of what the millennium or these thousand years mean, we get to come with the spirit of humility and the spirit of what is happening in this story that we're reading in Revelation as it is happening. Not only that, what is about to happen in this story as well. Because what is happening is there was a great war That we weren't supposed to win was just one. And our enemies are bound up and either uh, they're being devoured by uh, birds of the field or they're thrown into a pit where Jesus has the key and they're locked up for a thousand years. And what's about to happen is a great wedding feast between Christ and His bride, the church. And so with that, we come to it with humility. And what I mean by humility in this sense, is that we can make room for others to be correct about the meaning and interpretation of this Scripture. And I would say this, if you assume that you're correct about it, you have your position on the millennium, um, that's fine. But if you, uh, uh, especially if you are sure that you have the correct reading of this passage of Scripture, then it is a great task of humility, which Scripture calls for over and over again, because whereas Scripture does call for sound doctrine and right living and right teaching and all that stuff, but it never calls for that at the expense of humility. And it doesn't have to. And in in no way in humility am I saying as we make room for other people's uh, views, I'm not suggesting that everybody's right in their views. That's that's not possible. Probably I'm not right in my view. Probably you're not right either to a certain extent. The point is, is that we consider another person's point of view, that we listen to it, that we can maybe change the way that we think about it, that we can discern and then treat other people as you would want to be treated. If you came to me with an opinion, you want me to treat that opinion with dignity and respect, don't you? If you come to me with an idea, you want me to treat it with dignity and respect and with seriousness that and not just blow you off. And so that's how we get to come and let other people um, be when we get to difficult points in Scripture like this one. The need to be right about everything and in every opinion, that, every opinion that you have, that is, it's prideful and it's foolishness. And we don't need to come. And it's exceedingly arrogant. And I would say this, it's exceedingly common in our day and age as well. The truth is that this text, has yet to happen. Now, I know from certain points of view, people think some of it's happened already, that some of it's happened, but yet its fullness is yet to be seen. And no one can really argue with that. And so we get to make room for other positions uh, in this text. Letting go of our needing to be right all the time is a good step in, in the right direction towards unity and away from decisive pride. Divisive pride, not decisive. Well, you could have decisive pride, but I meant divisive pride. But as we've gone through Revelation, uh, the truth is is that I've had to make a lot of room in my heart and in my head for those who I think their views are ridiculous on the end times. Because when you come to Revelation, there are a ton of, in my opinion, ridiculous views. But the truth is, is that Revelation is extremely difficult. It's very difficult um, text to kind of get into and look at. And even if you know all the cultural context and the original language, even if you know all the, uh, the scriptures that they come from and the, the genre, and you have great commentaries. And I would say this, even if you're uh, biblically, politically, and prophetically, you have your wits about you, it's still extremely difficult. It's extremely difficult, and if you don't believe me, just go read through it and say now you need to present this and teach it, and or you need to preach this text of scripture. I can give you a few that you would be yeah okay. This is a little bit more difficult than I might have thought at first. And one things I, I've heard a lot in in, in uh, when when church expert church people come and say you know what's your view on the millennium they say oh you have to read this person. You have to read this set of books. Oh my gosh, have you heard about this? They're today's modern scholar and expert on revelation. They're really smart and they know it all. And I've read many of these experts and I've taken that advice and and said, okay, well, let me see what they have. And they all disagree with one another. I'll just say that. They all disagree with one another all these really smart leading experts on Revelation, and they all come at it from one point or another. And so when we come to the text like these, being an expert isn't enough to know exactly how the future is going to play out. Let alone being expert uh, isn't expert enough to know how God is always working or is going to work in someone's lives. As uh, oftentimes uh, following... Uh, one who is so sure that they are right on a particular obscure and difficult to translate um, uh, passage of Scripture, um, then uh, especially like ones like this, that they say, we are going to lead you in the right direction. And usually it's when they're so sure about a, like difficult passages of Scripture like this one, they're also sure about the easier translated ones. Just follow me in everything. Just I know the way to go. It, this is, usually they don't lead us in the right direction. It's, and, and if we follow these people, it's not going to necessarily bring us closer to Jesus. And oftentimes, it ends up leading us astray from Jesus and as, away from striving for unity that Jesus asks us to be about. Which again, is his prayer that Jesus prayed for his followers. Lord, help them be unified. And Jesus prayed that we might be unified, that we might... He didn't pray this. Lord, I pray that they are correct in all their opinions and assertions. No, He prayed for, he prayed for unity. And so we get to come at this like this. And he, uh, Jesus wants us to follow Him. And this passage is in large part about the surety that we can have his victory. That his victory is won. It is secure. That he has locked up the devil. That it, the devil will have no more, um, uh, no more influence on his people. And this should give us strength and hope. Amen? And it should build our faith. Because the fullness of this text has yet to be uh, seen or realized. Um, and so in that, why would I? I was thinking about this because like I know that I'm not really addressing the text. So, the church people that said, read this person or this person or what's your person, they're not going to like this sermon, and I'm okay with that. Uh, they probably, I have others that they wouldn't like as well. So, but I, so I asked myself, why would I beg for us to have humility uh, in, this, in this section? Um, and, and because of Jesus, because of his victory. And he prayed that we might have unity because he really doesn't want us to divide over the multiple opinions that we could have. When Jesus walked the earth, he railed against those who thought that they had a firm grasp on what the future now turned to the present should look like. Those who thought that they had a firm grasp on what the scriptures said about God and about the way that God was going to move. And it is true that it, it was those who knew, they, they, they said that they knew how God's future was going to play out, that they didn't make room for Jesus to be the Messiah as He was to be the Messiah. In fact, it was them who got everybody and said, everybody, let's crucify Him. Because they were scared and because they didn't think that He would be the Messiah. And it was the person who was most certain about how the Messiah would come, what He would look like, the political maneuvering that he would do that dismissed Jesus for the role. And yet we stand here before Christ praying to Jesus, wanting to worship him in spirit and truth that we would stake on your, our lives on the fact that Jesus was the Messiah, that Jesus is the Messiah. We believe that wholeheartedly. And yet the Bible experts of Jesus time didn't think that Jesus was that Messiah. I will say this about this text: Feel free to think whatever you would like about the thousand years. Feel free to think what if it's already if you think it's already started. That's fine. You can you can do that. There's actually biblical proof for all these different points of views, which is I find uh, another just kind of nugget for humility. Like let's just come to it with humility because every. Uh, I like to quote somebody once told me every good heresy starts with a scripture So, and, but every good teaching also starts with a scripture so just take that for what it's worth but feel free to think that the beginning of this thousand years is either already started or yet to come feel free to believe that the thousand years is exactly thousand years down to the day and hour feel free to believe that it's a, me- a metaphorical frame of time feel free to believe that the thousand year reign of Christ will happen on earth and feel free that it's just gonna be in to to believe that it's just gonna happen in the spiritual realm or any nuances of any of those combinations that you can come up with. I would say this at Grace and Mercy Church, feel free to be pre, post, or all millennial and if you don't know what those words are, feel free to not look them up. And if you want to, <laughs> go ahead. It's fun. But or, or you can believe in any sort of nuanced stance between them. It's okay. Be free to have these. This is a difficult text. And be free to let other people have their opinion when it comes to this as well. And if you don't know what these words are, again, you might be better off not knowing them and just trusting that Jesus is going to reign forever and ever. It's gonna start with this thousand years. It's actually, so in that sense, I believe that's already started because Jesus rules and reigns over my life. At least I try to let him in that sense. But as I prayed for us in this text over and over and trying to discern what the Holy Spirit might have for us, I keep hearing unity and humility. Unity and humility. We have to like this scene comes out of a war and then this happens and it reminds me that we need to fight for both unity, and humility, because it's far too easy to be at odds with one another and to have pride in our own opinions and our own ways and our own views. I believe that many of the difficult text and multi-interpreted text in the Bible speak to us about this same thing. There is an overarching call in Scripture for love, unity between God's children, humility, and grace. And Grace, and in these texts, and there is a shortage of answers, even if there's an abundance of opinions. They are showing us that God's ways truly are higher than ours. And when the question is asked in Scripture, who can know the mind of God? We have texts like this one, I believe, that proves that no one can. Many people believe that they do, or think that they do, But let us not fall into the category of when when they say, Who can know the mind of God? Oh, I do. I can with my right exegesis, which is study of the scriptures, right? With my right exegesis, I can figure it all out and put God together because we can't out expert God, and nor should we want to. This doesn't mean that we don't try to make sense out of scriptures either. It's not a call for laziness in our studies. But rather, in humility, we come to the text not to figure out God's like Rubik's Cube of time and signs, but rather to look to God for what we might take and what we might need in the next step of following Him. God, you have us in this text today. We want to follow you today and tomorrow. Why are we here? And you guys probably know this, but I love to study. I love to learn. I love to grow in knowledge and understanding And I believe that it would benefit us all to study, but far more than study and knowledge, we need faith and hope that this passage offers us. We need the faith that we gain in knowing that God wins and that there will be peace, because oftentimes in this world, we can't even believe that peace is possible. We need a God-sized imagination to believe that peace is possible. And that might be that faith in that 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 peace is possible might just be the next step for us to take in our walk with Jesus. And that's enough to keep us walking today. Even if we don't know if we're supposed to be all or pre or post millennial or anything like that. I think that there must be a section of our brain that likes to solve problems. Humanity has done this forever and ever. They like, we like to like kind of narrow down the possibilities And once we do, what do we get to do? We get to move on from the ambiguity of that problem. From the unknown, we get to move on. And if we can come up with our own answers, then we can move on. We can get over. We can settle in our hearts and mind and give some solid foundation to to our otherwise shifting world. It's actually when we figure something out, it's a beautiful thing, but we can't rely on that thing that we figured out. Because the truth is, is that we don't like mystery all the time. We like to have certain answers, amen? Like, to live in mystery is is extremely, extremely hard. And, um, and and we crave the the certainty, and we crave the answers. And I would say that, you know what, that's okay. Except that we have to admit that we cannot have certainty in every part of our lives at every at every moment. And, and it, I would say this, including our theological lives including our spiritual lives and then uh, when we don't have those figured out we get to live in the humility that comes with the unknown and the mystery we get to live in that humility and it's difficult texts like this one that in part remind us that we can't know all that we'd like to know and that some mysteries just won't be answered until we see Jesus face to face What is certain in this passage is that Jesus is victorious. That our enemy Satan is defeated. That he won't have his free reign on earth. What's certain is that Jesus is our King. What is uncertain is how long the millennium is. What are the pits and the chains and the keys? Where are they? What day day or time starts the beginning of this and the end of this? The captivity of the dragon and the serpent who is Satan. Like, what does that all mean? Why can't you just call him Satan? Like, trying to figure this out. and Why is it only a thousand years? And then he has to be let loose again? Why does he have to? We can come to it with all these questions. And at the same time, we can come and stand firm on Jesus and know that all else is sinking sand that we know that even if Satan's let loose again we can stand in the strength that he'll be there and he will win this once and for all. We know in our personal lives that humility is hard for us to walk out. Amen. Amen. We live in a world in a culture where everybody offers their opinions. It's encouraged and it's it's not I'm not saying it's a bad thing, but the more often than not, it's hard for us to think of someone as more significant ourselves. And that, and yet, uh, especially when we hear other people's opinions and we disagree with them, it's far more hard for us to think uh, of someone more significant than ourselves. And yet, this is the example that Jesus left us. To think more significantly about others than you do yourself. When, when Jesus did this, he left humility for us as humility. His way, as we learn to follow him day in and day out. Do you think? Uh, do you think that he knew that we'd encounter people who'd bug us? Yeah, that it would annoy us. That would. How dare they? But they would disagree with us in our stances. Don't you think that Jesus knew that there would be social media? I think that he did. But because in our hearts we've always wanted that, we've always wanted. To do that. Jesus, who is God in flesh, whose ways are far above ours, still humbled himself for us. Jesus, who is greater, not by opinion, but in truth, in fact, he left us humility as the way of following him. I love what Paul says in Philippians 2, 1 through 8. I'm just gonna read, I'm gonna read it. Let each of you look not to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Though who, uh, he was in, in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. I love this because it asks if there's any participation in the whole, uh, in the in the Spirit. In in order to have that, there's to be humility. And I know us. All, I know everybody here, and I know that we want to participate with what the Holy Spirit has for us. And as we humble ourselves, and we are all when we when we are also met with humility, there is unity. It's not always agreement, but there's unity. And it seems that humility and unity are tied together, and they're tied together in Christ, that at least we can come together on that. And when we consider others, their thoughts and their interests above our own, there's a greater chance for unity. This passage mentions a key that holds the enemy at bay, and a key that keeps him locked in the pits and the chains, if there's a key in this Scripture that keeps our enemy at bay, I I believe it's to be found in Jesus' victory and our faith in that. But here, for us, and here now, maybe in this next step, that key is humility and unity. That we get to fight for these things. I love this passage in Philippians 2 because um, there's so much resistance that is met in my rebelliousness and my need to have my own opinion and for my own opinion to be right. How far should we strive for unity? Because certainly not that far. Uh, do we need to agree with everybody? Do, what do, we, do we follow everybody who doesn't follow any conscience or sort of integral thing? It, they just follow the whims of this world? That they, People that set aside truth? Do we need to, uh, how do we treat them? And we don't need to agree. We don't need to set aside, set aside truth. We don't need to do, uh, follow every whim of this world. But you know what? I think often uh, when Jesus went to the cross, you know one thing that He did? Was He kept His mouth shut. He knew He was right. I think that oftentimes that might be a wise course of action. Is just not offering our opinion even though we feel the need to give it. Jesus went to the cross bearing pain, humiliation, and he emptied himself so that we might be made whole. This is the Jesus way. This is the path towards victory over Satan, sin, and death. And we get to wrestle with what that looks like. And I say this, when I mean Jesus went to the cross with his keeping his mouth shut, that doesn't mean he didn't fight for injustice, fight against it. It didn't mean he never had hard truths for people. It didn't mean He said everything nicely and politely all the time. That's not what I'm saying. And it's not what Scripture says. But there is a time and a place when we're fighting for unity where we get to be quiet and let the truth be what it is. And it looks, for, it looks differently for each one of us at, a, at, at, at certain times and to certain degrees. But if we always insist on getting our own way, then we're not following Jesus. We're following ourselves. And this is how Jesus proved that his trust in God, in God's goodness, in God's grace, in God's love, when Jesus went to the cross, he proved it with his actions. And this is how Jesus proved his love for us and proved his victory. With that humility that will lead us to being unified under him. I pray this. I pray that we might let go of our need for always needing to be right I pray that if we feel the need to fight then we will fight for unity and humility I pray that when we might uh do our best as as a as individuals and as a group to walk in humility and I am fully aware of the nuances and difficulties in this I'm fully aware of the well what about this situation What about this situation? It isn't easy in real life. I know this. It's easy to say, live in humility and and strive for unity. But now start applying that to each and every one of your difficult relationships and difficult situations. And I know it isn't easy in real life. But I know this. Jesus knows it is. Jesus knows And we can pick up our crosses and we can follow Jesus and we can walk with him and we can strive for what he's asked us to strive for regardless of those around us are going to strive for it or not. This text talks about his victory. We can be sure in that without question. And I, I I find it this way. When someone is so sure of their position, they don't always need to prove it. They just get to walk it out, to live it out. And that's what this text is speaking to us about today. So be sure that Jesus wins and be sure that in that we can also fight for unity and humility in all things and in all ways as we learn to walk this out as Jesus would have us. So Jesus, please lead us and guide us. Help us come to the the next step that you would have for us, Lord, with humility, with unity, not wanting to fight, Lord, but, but yet at the same time, Lord, just recognizing that you have this victory. Lord, there will be a time when Satan is bound up and not able to have his effects. So open our imagination to that. Lord, we set aside the right to be right all the time. The right to have all our opinions met and, and needed to be confirmed. And yet at the same time, Lord, we acknowledge that we need to do a better job allowing um, others, their space and the dignity and respect that we would hope to receive as well. In Jesus' name, amen.